Welcome to this episode of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and I want to thank everyone that has been listening. Thank you for the comments and the feedback. They are a tremendous help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, and I believe the best way to really get to know the guest. And this week's guest is extremely unique. Um, his name is Akshay Nanavati. He's a Marine Corps veteran, speaker, adventurer, and entrepreneur. After overcoming a lifestyle of drug addiction that killed two of his friends in high school, Akshay enlisted in the Marines despite two doctors telling him boot camp would kill him because of a blood disorder that he was born with. He not only survived, but graduated infantry school as the honor graduate in his platoon. In 2007, he was deployed to Iraq where one of his jobs was to walk in front of, a, in front of vehicle convoys to find IEDs before they could be used to kill him and his fellow Marines. I'm sure that was crazy. After returning from the war, he was diagnosed with PTSD and struggled with alcohol addiction that pushed him to the brink of suicide. Satisfied, and we'll talk about this, we're chatting about it earlier, but satisfied with outside treatment, he healed himself and has since pushed his limits in the most hostile and awe-inspiring environments on the planet. From climbing mountains in the Himalayas, to scuba diving into underwater caves, to dragging a 190-pound sled 350 miles across the second largest ice cap in the world in temperatures as low as 40 degrees below zero. After quitting a corporate job, he built a global business helping people live limitless lifestyles. His work helps fund his nonprofit, the, the, the Birvana Foundation, and actually in his work has been featured in places like CNN, Fast Company, Entrepreneur.com, and countless media outlets. Um, actually, you have an amazing story. We'll talk about it, but this, this whole mission of embracing fear and embracing sort of the, the diversity is, is really catching on, and I think you've, uh, you're a forefront of that. So tell us a little bit about your background and your story. Yes, you know, as you said, firstly, thanks for again for having me and for that beautiful intro. So, um, yeah, you know, after high school, recovering from drugs, then joining the Marines, and actually it was the movie Black Hawk Down that got me into the Marines. Have you seen that movie? I have. It's sort of crazy. Yeah, it's a very powerful war movie, too. And just watching the courage of men in combat, like sacrificing their lives for their fellow human beings, there was something that just triggered me. And after that, I read the book Black Hawk Down and read book after book on military and combat and decided to almost overnight stop doing drugs and serve something greater than myself. And, you know, in the Marines, the good of the group matters more than the individual well-being. And that's a beautiful thing to experience. So join the Marines is when I got big time in outdoor sports. Went to Iraq in 2007 in, in the infantry as a non-commissioned officer. Had one of those crazy jobs where I had to walk out in front of our vehicles looking for bombs. So learn to navigate fear pretty well out there. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, you kind of have to learn out there, right? Because uh, it's the Marines. There's no room for error there. <laughs> right. So it was a tremendous experience, life experience, you know. But I came back and definitely struggled when I got back. Struggled a lot. I wanted to go back to war. Soon, years later, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, struggled with depressions, alcoholism. I mean, I got to a point that I was, after just days of binge drinking, that I woke up thinking there's no point going on. And the thought that I actually pictured myself taking a knife to end it all was really shocking to me that I wouldn't think that. 
And that's what led to this sort of years of research in neuroscience, psychology, spirituality, validating with my own life experience of in these all these you know hostile and beautiful environments about how the greatest things I've done in my life from joining the Marines to climbing mountains to even now writing a book was absolutely terrifying and not easy at all. But we're sort of living in a world that looks for easy and sort of demonizes struggle, demonizes fear, demonizes stress. And uh, Fearvana, what I wrote ultimately then what led me to this concept of Fearvana in my book, Fearvana, and now everything I'm doing with my work was a result of that research and a result of that life experience to help people develop a positive relationship to struggle, which ultimately is in my not just opinion, but research would, uh, would validate this as well, the most important skill to live a happy and fulfilled life. Well, and I think too, like we were talking earlier, the, the positive thinking movement, right, really suppresses the actually the negative and it doesn't really give voice to the negative or to the struggle. And I think, you know, once in realizing that and, you know, talk to us a little bit about really embracing the struggle, right. Versus repressing the struggle. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I'll give you a small example of that. I did a talk on fear of honor recently in India and a woman came up to me after and she had been gone through a very abusive marriage, just terrific things that happened to her. And she had read a lot of these, you know, positive books kind of thing. And she said to me, so it sounds like you're saying not just to be positive all the time. And I asked her, do you still have negative thoughts? She said, yes. I said, of course you do. It's human, right? Like that's the point is not about fighting them away or resisting them. Actually dig deep into them, understand them, talk to them, realize that they're a part of you and embrace those negative thoughts. So it's, it's giving yourself the space to be with your demons, to accept that fear, stress, and anxiety, however they may show up, are part of the human experience. And when they show up, you dig deep into them. So, I mean, when, for example, when I was writing my book, I was terrified of writing a book, ironically, on fear. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, so I was terrified because I was worried it'd be a bad book. Nobody'd read it. You'd get, you know, hopefully not, but get possibly get one of those one-star reviews on Amazon kind of thing. So as a result of my fear, I understood, okay, I'm scared of writing a bad book. Let me research how to write a good book. So I studied from people like Jack Canfield, the Chicken Soup of the Soul author, where I'm at right now, in fact, working with him. And, uh, so, you know, people like Tim Ferriss and studied how do you write a good book? But that, that, that desire to study that was a result of my fear. I always say that fear propels you to prepare if, of course, you allow it and you choose it to. But it can drive you to ask yourself, what am I afraid of? What's the worst case scenario? How can I prepare for that worst case scenario? What can I do if that worst case scenario does show up? So it allows you to prepare, you know, for every situation. And as a result, you know, do a better job. And, and now I'm blessed to say that, you know, it took a lot of work. I must have trashed about 100,000 words worth of work. But I wrote a better book because I was afraid. And everything in my life has been the same, even like dragging the sled across Greenland. I was terrified. So I used to train by dragging tires around my streets of New Jersey. <laughs> I think it's probably scarier dragging tires around the streets of New Jersey than dragging a sled across Greenland. <laughs> I did get stopped a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. So talk to us about embracing that fear, right? You know, a lot of people, it, it's easier to talk to on the surface about it. Oh, just embrace it. How do you really dig deep into that? How do you really become friends with, with your fears or with your anxieties or with your depression? I think a lot of people in today's world think that everyone, you know, we live in a world of Facebook and Instagram where everyone's happy and lovey and all that type of stuff versus, you know what, I got to, I got to embrace the heart. I got to embrace the sucker. How, you know, how do you help people really embrace that? It's easy to talk about, but how do you feel that you know, internally? Yeah, got you. So I actually developed like a sort of five-step system for it that uh, to make it easy to remember spells out L-M-N-O-P. So the first step in this is L, label. 
labeling the emotion. And this is where you're just actually being present and becoming aware of the emotion. So you're not reacting to it, but you're not letting it consume you. You're just becoming aware of it. And neuroscience has shown by labeling the emotion, it actually reduces activity in the emotional parts of your brain and increases activity in the part of your brain related to focus and awareness. So now you can actually do something with that emotion. So once you label it, the next part of that L is the language. It's actually sitting up, embracing a positive, confident body language. So you're actually just feeling more confident just by sitting up and feeling strong. Uh, the second part of that is the M. This is the meaning. You're asking yourself, what is the meaning to the event that's created the emotion? And what is the meaning to the emotion itself? Because, for example, uh, what, uh, you know, in the context of the emotion itself, people will, think, people will have fear and then they think, they, they think of themselves weak for having fear. So you want to acknowledge, okay, what's the meaning I'm assigning to the event and or the emotion? The next step is really the key part here, the N. This is where you're saying, this is not me, this is just my brain. Because what happens is we self-identify with our emotions. When people, when somebody says, okay, you know, like when a therapist will say, oh, you have depression. We'll say, oh, I am depressed, I have depression, as opposed to saying something like, my brain goes through a state of depression from time to time, but I'm not my brain, and my brain is not me. So my fear is not a part, it's not who I am, right? Like it's just an emotional part that my brain is feeling as a result of certain circumstances. And it's very normal to feel those things. So the end part is where you're saying, it's not me, it's just my brain. This is not who I am. And then the O part is where you're opting for a new meaning. So this is when you say, okay, I'm feeling the fear. What's the new meaning? Oh, the fear is not a sign of my weakness. The fear is the sign that I care. I think fear is an expression of love. I mean, the only reason I was terrified of writing a bad book is because I loved my message and I wanted to share it with the world, right? So suddenly I'm reframing my meaning to the, not just the emotion, but to the event itself. Because it's normal to feel fear about starting a business, writing a book, uh, you know, jumping out of a plane, whatever. It's not saying, oh, I shouldn't be afraid. Like, you know, we're often told. It's normal to feel these things. And then finally is P. This is purpose and preemptive strikes. So this is where you take one step in action with that higher purpose. So in, in my case of the book, let's say I'm procrastinating a lot, which I did, I'm not going to lie. The, the P part would be as you go through the steps and acknowledge your emotions, you're just writing for, let's say, even five minutes. And I did this with a client as well. So you're just doing this for five minutes, something to break the pattern, to, to actually not go back to your old way of behavior. So that's the, the purpose is taking some action that's in line with that mission that you want to accomplish, that purpose. And the second part is the preemptive strikes. This is where you preemptively prepare for obstacles you know will show up. So I call it an LMNLP cycle because this thing keeps working ahead of time, like, you know, as a cycle. So when you know something will show up. So for example, one day I woke up and I, I was really tired and I had two client calls, but I had a run scheduled right after. Now I knew after the client call, it would be much easier to want to just go take a nap again, right? So what I did was I, I, set, I, set, I did my client calls in my shoes, in my, with my iPod around my arm, my running watch. So I made it as psychologically easy as possible to step out the door. By preemptively preparing for the obstacle of fatigue, I knew, I knew it would show up. And research has shown that if you preemptively prepare, like you write down in detail what I'm going to do, when I'm going to do it, how I'm going to do it, it actually triples your odds of success. That's amazing, right? Because I think a lot of people, like you said, it's they get into a call, say they're going to go for a run, and they never do because they aren't prepared, right? Because then all of a sudden, it's extra five or ten minutes that you get to do. I'm a big fan of, I, I love to work out at lunch, and but a lot of times I have calls that go right up to lunch, and it's all right, yeah, in the, in the five minutes before my 11 o'clock call, get all my gear on, be ready to go, so when I need to get out the door, I can be out the door and be back for my one o'clock call, right, or, or whatever, and exactly. it, it is, it's actually thinking about and preparing about what's going to be, what's next, right, of, of, exactly. of sort of pushing that limit. Yeah, I love it. And you know, people can know if you're, if you're, if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, every single day, I'm not going to the gym or whatever when I plan to figure it out. What's the obstacle? 
how can I prepare at a time? You know, like uh, exactly like what you said, you know, have the gear ready. I'm doing the same thing. I have a run plan in the middle of the day today in the Arizona heat and 110 degrees. And so I know I'm not going to want to do it. <laughs> right. So I'm keeping all my stuff ready to rock and roll. So as soon as I, uh, as soon as I finish my little break at the event that I'm at, I'm going, you know, there's, I don't think about it. I'm already prepared. I just step out the door. Right. Right. No. And I think that's the key of really, you know, overcoming that type of stuff. What, you know, you had mentioned that you're going after, you know, you joined the military, right? And then you started doing all these extreme sports and then sort of started bottoming out again. What do you think caused you to bottom out? Because I think you know, once you were done with the military, you didn't know whether or not you wanted to go back. Talk to us about that, of sort of yeah. the highs and lows. Sure. So when I got out of, when I came back from Iraq, you know, I had lost a friend in the war before I even left. We had come into the unit together. And uh, we always volunteered to go out there together. We were the same kind of Marine. One summer while I was vacationing in India uh, with my family, he ended up finding a unit to go with and he never came back. And it always upset me that I didn't go with him. And I always felt that if I, it should have been me that got, went out there with him and it should have, me that, should have been me that died instead of him. So when I came back, I struggled with that, that I'm now back from war. What right do I have to make it back? What right do I have to be happy to be alive? You know, I lost a junior Marine to suicide a few weeks after we came back as well. And I mean, three weeks before he killed himself, he asked me, he said, Nanavati, uh, Corporal Nanavati, can you take me out rock climbing? And I said, sure, of course. And, you know, never got around to it. And I don't know if that would have saved his life, of course, but you always wonder that could you have done more? And I just struggled with life in the normal world, struggled with the survivor's guilt. And um, it just, as time kind of took me, you know, took over, um, it put me into some dark places. And I realized even these quote unquote positive things I was doing, like skiing across Greenland, climbing mountains. And this was after the war. They were positive in the sense they were obviously better than drinking. And, you know, they were uh, things that the world will praise you for, but they were also a way of me running away from myself. I kept running away to the fight, if you will, because there's a beauty in that struggle and the simplicity of life on an ice cap, life on a mountain, life in war. There's a simplicity to that. And ultimately what I was doing was running away and eventually just the running away took its toll. And I, and, uh, and the drinking slowly became more all consuming than, you know, my ability to run away. Cause obviously these kind of pursuits to climb mountains and ski across ice caps are not cheap either. And they're time consuming. So eventually the demons just sort of took over to the point that I had to face them. And, <laughs> and I'm glad I did of course, cause it allowed me to rise above them and ultimately embrace that divinity as well. Well, and I think too, it's, and, I, and I've said this in multiple podcasts and, Believe me, I'm, you know, I'm probably in the same boat. It's like, you know, these endurance sports or these long treks or whatever. It's either you're running from something or you're running to something, right, is what I always say someone's doing. Um, because no one in their right mind is going to go do the stuff that we want to do, right? right? But I think, but in that same sentence, it's sort of, you know, the spiritual side of it. You sort of, you get into that zone. You get into, I almost like to call it, right, it's almost, I was just talking, we were talking about the adventure race I just did. It's like, he an out-of-body experience. You're almost watching yourself do it versus actually feeling like you're doing it, right? And there's something, there's something special to that. There's something sort of freaky to the whole thing, and it's sort of, you know, that's... But I think that's where I find my spiritual side of things is out there, is doing that. And, but again, you come back, you sort of come back to it, and it's like, all right, you know, what's next? Or you sort of get that you know, that low, right? The depression, the feeling after yeah. that type of stuff. There's a, there's a book called the wave and they talk about, I don't know, I'm sure if you, you read it, but it talks about what big wave surfers do after they go after 67, 70, 80 foot waves and the rush is done, right? It's all right. They sort of mm. bottom out on the other side. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and it totally, totally makes sense. They've even shown that with Olympic athletes. They often feel a sense of depression after. I mean, you've suffered, you know, worked hard for years and years and years. Now you win the gold and they experience an intense low. So, but I think that, again, that that's part of the low is what drives ambitious people, you know? That's, if you don't experience a low, it's not going to push you to that next high. And I've come to experience, I mean, accept it. I am constantly in fear, in anxiety about the things that I have planned for my life. And I've just learned to accept that this is the choice I've made, that I can either change the plan and as a result, I won't feel the fear and anxiety or accept it as part of the journey and just move on accordingly. You know, there is nothing wrong with not having the, nothing have, you know, not having the desire to do these kind of crazy things like running cross countries, doing these adventure races that you do, but it's up to you to accept that, you know, what is your path? And if this is a path, like then it's going to be a path that demands fear, like the path that we've chosen to do these things. And so be it, you know, and that's a beautiful thing and accept it, embrace it. <laughs> well, I think too, you know, look at most people that succeed, right? I think they, that's really what differentiates them from the others is accepting that fear, right? Accepting going mm -hmm. into the comfort zone, accepting, you know what, that it is going to suck <laughs> or, but on the other side is sort of the greatness of it. Right. And, and that's, it's a hard thing to do when you're in the middle of it, I think. But I think when you cross that finish line and you're there, it's like, huh, you know, I can actually do that. I yeah, know for exactly. me, that was big, even with this podcast, right? To get this off the ground, it was, all right, is it going to suck? And I don't know if it does or if it doesn't, but yeah. I, just, I just accepted the fact, all right, we're going to do it and we're going to get better along the way. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and but you do a lot of speaking. You do a lot of speaking about fear and work with individuals. What, mm -hmm. what do you tell someone who's riddled with fear, or anxiety, or depression, or you know PTSD, and sort of not not going the you know, the positive route of oh think positive because we all know that doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you an example in the context of PTSD. I mean, again, fundamentally, at first I'll try to understand a little bit about their journey, the context that'll let them there. Because again, I often hear sometimes the personal development world say, you're not your past. But the reality is you are your past because everything in your past has shaped your brain, whether you like it or not. You know, it's shaped the patterns and, and the wiring in your brain. So I'll try to get, I'll try to get a sense of their context. And then, you know, and then it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's having them accept and under, accept their emotions, understand that those emotions are not them. So I'll give you a tangible example. Uh, a veteran buddy of mine uh, actually came to me and he was struggling with anger for years after the war. And the, the therapist he was going to kept saying, anger is just a choice. Anger is a choice. You need to let go of your anger. And he kept, he was, he wasn't able to. And he, then, then what happened is he thought something's wrong with him because he was, wasn't able to. And a quote unquote expert was saying that he should be able to, right? So he came to me finally, as he saw what, all the work I was doing for Yvonne and, you know, getting better myself. And I told him like, firstly, just forget it. That anger as a choice is absolutely not true. Right now, your brain has cultivated anger as a pattern that's beyond your control because neuroscience and spirituality have both shown we don't control what first shows up in our brain. It's just a pattern that, that we are no longer aware of. Like if I'm standing on the edge of a cliff and I feel fear or you're starting something new, anytime you have that, you know, you feel fear, it's normal. You're not in control of that. What matters is what you do with it. Now the anger had become a pattern for him over seven years since that war. That his job right now wasn't to control the anger. It was simply to be with it and then to translate it. So as a result of simply accepting the anger, he called me once, it was about 1 a.m., I still remember, excited beyond belief because for the first time in seven years since the war, his anger didn't control him. He was able to pause, accept that that anger was there, accept that the anger wasn't him. It wasn't his identity. And as a result, I think it was kid has broken the DVD player or something like that. And he didn't freak out because before he used to tell me that anytime something went wrong, if the lawnmower broke, he'd smash the DVD player. Something he would like freak out, you know? 
and he was able to control his like let this anger dissipate as, as a result of simply being with it and letting it subside as opposed to fighting it, you know? And then when you accept the emotions, when you channel them, then, then it's about, you know, getting clear. What is your purpose? I call it your worthy struggle. So I define fear of Anna as the bliss that results from engaging your fears to pursue your own worthy struggle. And we all have a worthy struggle. It could be running adventure races, hosting a podcast, writing a book, whatever it may be. But finding that worthy struggle and then getting clarity of purpose on that path. Because without that, there's that void. I mean, this is a big thing with addicts, for example. You come out and there's no, it doesn't fill, fill the void. I've lost friends to addiction. I was, like I said, I myself had been on the edge. But, um, but having, filling that void with something, and that's your worthy struggle. And you get, letting that worthy struggle really become all-consuming. So accepting those emotions and then finding an outlet to channel them into your life. Because, you know, we, got, we all got a future and what are we going to do with that? That existential crisis will show up if you, if you sit around doing nothing. So uh, getting clear on your worthy struggle and embracing the process of struggle itself. That's why I call it your worthy struggle as opposed to your passion. I don't like that term. I think passion is a, passion is a product of struggle, not the other way around. You develop a passion after you engage in the struggle. But often when people say follow your passion, the idea, and I've seen this with plenty of people I talk to and work with individually and in my larger talks, they will, the idea of follow your passion is that, oh, then life will be sort of grand. And if you follow your passion, life will be full of joy and, you know, rainbows. And we all kind of realize it's not. <laughs> it's right. hard. But that's not a bad thing that it's hard. You know, hard is not negative. Challenges and struggle is not negative. No, and, that, and I think that's key, right, to really to realize that. And everyone's looking for, you know, everyone's looking for this nirvana that they think that they can achieve. And mm -hmm. I think the only time you can achieve it is when, you know, who knows when you can achieve it, right? It's, it's, yeah. Is Does nirvana exist? It, it really doesn't. I think, you know, the, the art is in the struggle. The art is in the journey. It's almost, you're much more excited during the journey than you are when you, when you get to the finish line, right? It's, yeah. I think, I know for myself and I know for many people I hang around with, it's the finish line is just like the beginning to the next thing, right? It's really not the, it's not the finish line. It's like, all right, you know, because the journey was, was so much fun, the struggle, the being out in the rain, the, you know, hours and hours without sleep. And then at that point, it's like, oh, it's over. What's next? Yeah, I absolutely love the way you put it and totally resonate. I actually have a mantra I tell myself a lot when I run, there is no finish line because I might finish the 10 mile training run, but you know what? There is no finish line. There'll be another one. And so what I started doing sometimes is right after a long run, I'll do like five minutes on the rower, which is just a nightmare. That machine is like the work of the devil. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you, you, but it trains your brain to say, you know what? This is not the finish line. There will be one more. And it is, and the thing with this to be clear also is it's not like you're saying you're not enjoying the now because I know that that can come up, right? Like it, just because there's a future to aim toward, it doesn't mean you don't enjoy the now. The duality of both those exist, you know, as one. Like I love what I do. And yes, sometimes as you can relate in the suffering, it just sucks. <laughs> there's no right. other way to, but there's a beauty in that if you sort of take the, you know, enlarge time in the entire like spectrum of that experience, it's absolutely beautiful, the highs and the lows. Well, no, and that's exactly it, right? You know, again, we're talking about, you know, the adventure race and the first, yeah. we were in this one section at the beginning and we're like, no, all of us are like, we're never going to do this again. And by the end, you're like, all right, when are we signing up? Mm -hmm, because, mm -hmm. of, because of that, right? You sort of yeah, embrace yeah. it and you embrace <laughs> the struggle. And I think, well, and, and I think that's, and, and I use racing or I use physical fitness as it, but I also do it in my business world. It's really yeah. embracing that, 
you're human, right? And that you're dealing with humans and that you can't, everyone always says, oh, control this situation or control that. And, and it's impossible. You almost have to, you know, you have to let it play out and try to guide, you know, guide situation versus, there, yep. you know, control doesn't exist or, um, beca- or it becomes very asymptotic, right? It's trying to come, is close and perfection doesn't exist. And is it worthwhile to put in 300 hours to move the needle one tenth of 1% versus where you get to there, you know, 90% is okay. Um, but that stretch from 90 to, you know, 91% or 90 to 100% is, doesn't really, you know, you don't really, a lot of times it's, it's okay to, to get as close as you can, but then sometimes it's all right to move on. Got you. And I love the way you say that. Absolutely agree. <laughs> now, what do you, you know, what are your thoughts about physical fitness and health and all that in terms of succeeding, right? Of overcoming fear. Is it, I think uh, it's, you know, obviously you, you use it as sort of a yeah. metaphor. I think it's the best way to build a better relationship to the struggle that's in, inherent to life. And it's not just me that says it. even on a neurological level, there's one neuroscientist who calls exercise miracle growth for the brain. There's another one who said that if they could take, if they could put into pill form, the, the effects of exercise, it'd be the best selling pill of all time. You know, so we're looking for pills to, for depression, for this, that, and the other thing, but exercise is fundamental. It is the absolute keystone habit that, that is the core habit that is fundamental success. I mean, I actually don't work with people if they don't if they're not willing to implement some sort of exercise routine in their life. Now I understand obviously this is about barring like severe physical issues that you're just not able to. That's that's a whole different beast, obviously. But in the context of most of us who can, exercise is the best thing you can do for yourself on a spiritual level, on a physical level, on a neurological level on an emotional level, on every way. It's not going to make your life problems go away, obviously, but it gives you a better tool to handle those problems. It has been my, I mean, it's literally saved my life. It's been my salvation. It got me out of drug addiction. It got me out of my PTSD, depression, and alcoholism. It saved my life literally. And uh, I mean, it's, I, I have no, and within myself, I have no neurological evidence to validate it, but I can guarantee you it's changed my brain. And there's plenty of neuroscience to show how it does change your brain. But like on a spiritual level, one of the most beautiful things about it is it teaches you how to suffer well. You know, I mean, you talked about your adventure races, whatever you pursue. I have a friend who is not a runner, but he just hits the gym. And of course, he's learned how to suffer in the gym. You know, for me, it's long distance running. So whatever tool you use, find your own path. It doesn't have to be running. It doesn't have to be adventure racing. It doesn't have to be the gym. It could be swimming. It could be anything, you know, do, do something though. And find your way to experience that struggle and realizing also that, that you know, with exercise, again, if you take that one more inch, you will get to the result. You just have to learn to suffer for that inch. So now I got to the point, which I'm sure you can relate to. If I set a target, I know I will get there. The, ma- the difference is the, the only thing that's unclear is how much I will have to suffer and struggle to get there. But I know I will get there. You know what I mean? And that, that, relent- that, that extreme confidence has come as a result of exercise. And of course, everything else of like, you know, having proven this now over time to myself through all the victories of the little victories I've achieved in life. Uh, but exercise is fundamental, all of it. Right now. And again, like you're saying, if you could bottle it up, it's the best thing ever. Oh, without a doubt. It's, I mean, on a neurological level, it's game changer. <laughs> well, no one ever comes back from a run or a gym session saying, I wish I didn't do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. They exactly. may wish they're not doing it while they're doing it, Here, but when exactly. they're over. <laughs> No one ever says that they wish they didn't do that. I think that's probably one of the keys, you know, just moving your body, right? So many people don't realize that the importance of moving your body and it doesn't need to be, 
it, does, it doesn't need to be for an hour or a day or weeks at that time. I, you know, I was actually speaking at an event with someone a couple weeks ago and talking about two minutes, right? All you need is actually two air squats for two minutes or do burpees for two minutes yeah, or do yeah. pull-ups for two minutes. Most people can't do burpees for two minutes straight or push-ups yeah. for two minutes straight. Yeah. Next thing yeah. you know, it's like, holy cow, that was actually a, that was a hard workout of doing push-ups yeah. for two minutes. Yeah, absolutely. You just do something, right? Exactly. <laughs> right. And yeah, as you evolve, it'll, it'll, it'll continue to change and grow, you know, but I didn't start running the distances I start running now. I used to hate it. And, uh, I mean, I used to, even in high school, I was a, or in middle, not before high school, uh, I was only a hundred meter. I didn't even like the 200 meter, you know? So, uh, I hated long distance. I kind of, it became a part of me, but like you said, just start somewhere. And, and then through that, you'll figure out what your path is. Right. And where that's going to go. I think that's exactly. the key. Exactly. Okay, getting off the couch. What would you tell someone who is fearful of that, right? Who's fearful of just getting started? What's, you know, what, what tips would you give someone to just kept more gain momentum? Like if I was sitting face to face with someone, I would, I would just literally tell them right then drop down and do five pushups. Like just start, like just do something, you know, ultimately there's, we can look for that. That's another thing. Like on the general level, we, we all are looking for the little hack. Like, I mean, you, the term hacks, right? Like find your hack for this, uh, to hack this system, to find the magic one pill. We're right. looking for the, you know, the, if I meditate, then it'll get me out of this. If I do this, it'll, there is no one magic thing. If you take the step, you'll figure it out. So if somebody's trying to find out, like, you know, let's say, you know, I understand if you're, let's say really overweight, it, it's a slow process, right? You're not going to, do exercise one day and suddenly start seeing those six pack abs. I mean, I work my butt off, eat relentlessly healthy. I still have some fat on my obliques that I'm struggling to get rid of. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so like, and I, I train hard. So, um, the thing is like, you can, there'll always be like that, that process is accepting the patience of the process, but just starting somewhere doing the two minutes and, and really embracing the progress over the perfection, like focusing on the process as, as opposed to the end result. This is another thing where you got to be really conscious about the, the influences coming to you because we live in a world like you touched on earlier about the social media, right? Like you see the end result of people or you see what they're presenting as their best version of themselves. But the journey is hard and beautiful at the same time. And you got to embrace the journey because the journey itself is the destination, right? Like it's the process over perfection. And again, studies have shown that people who focus on the process of working out as opposed to, let's say, losing the weight, they not only perform better in, like, at the, in terms of the end result of the, the actual result, but they actually enjoy the process more. So you want to focus on the process. Okay, I've done my five pushups. I've done my 10, you know, five pushups. In a week, I'll go to 10. Or, you know, I've started with, half a mile in a week, I'll go to one mile, whatever the numbers may be. The key is start there and then just focus on the process. Cause whatever, if you have losing weight you, in time, you'll start seeing the effects of that. But I promise you it won't happen overnight. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's, you have to fight that urge because we live in a world again, that says, you know, I, I go to the, I go to the, whenever I go to the stores and, you know, shopping with my folks in the mall or whatever, you'll always see these exercise, you know, it's a new tool. It'll say, if you just walk 14 minutes a day, you'll look like the supermodel who's on the cover of that ad thing. Right. And I think you can testify that's just not going to happen. Walking 14 minutes a day in five days. And they're all these exercise programs that, you know, fun, easy way to get super ripped. And it just does not happen. So like ignoring that this is the easy pay three payments of nine ninety nine way to get the results and accepting that it's going to be long, brutal and, and, and require patience. But there's beauty in that. There's absolute beauty. I mean, like that's why I say the fundamental, most important skill you can develop is a positive relationship to suffering. If you learn how to suffer well, you will achieve anything you want in your life. No, that's exactly. No, I, I'm a big fan of that. Right. It's, all right. It's going to 
you know, embrace the suck is really, yeah, you know, in, you know, what that's is that? That's a military statement, right? That, embrace the suck. We, that's, a, that's like, um, that, I mean, I was just speaking to an army guy yesterday, but like with an army Marines, like embrace the suck is like a key ethos of how we survive in the military. <laughs> right. No. And, and, but I think that's really what it's coming down to in day-to-day life is really just embracing that. And again, like you said, Oh, the nine easy payments is going to get you ripped. Well, you know, yeah. the nine easy payments is what it's really trying to do is just get you on the, you know, on the plan that you're actually paying something and hopefully that'll keep you accountable. <laughs> yep. Yep. Perfect. No. And so we're coming up about a half hour here and you know, some quick questions for you, sort of rapid fire questions. Yeah. So what's your next adventure? What are you, you know, what are you going to do next to push the limits? The next big one is in about six weeks now in October, I'm running 300 miles in 10 days across Liberia. Uh, we are going to be, I mean, beyond just the run, we're going to be distributing water filters. It's a post-war country. They went through a pretty brutal civil war. So we're helping to build the first sustainable school in post-war Liberia, distributing water filters, doing some speaking, doing some talks, and of course, running 300 miles. So <laughs> that one is my next big one that I'm Ter- excited, absolutely terrified about and excited. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Now, do you follow any specific diet? You know, there's everyone talking about keto or vegan or this or that. Do you follow anything or no? You know, what's your style, right? I, I mean, I eat healthy. Obviously, I have a, a you know follow the basics. Again, that's another thing. Like, it's cool if you follow one, but I don't like the uh, follow the general principles and then whatever. And then you know, you don't need to get specific about this one diet is the only way to do things, kind of thing, right? Like the fanaticism sometimes we get about our diets, but I have a nutritionist I work with who says similar. I mean, he taught me a lot of, and, and uh, he just, he tells me to eat something, I do it kind of thing, but it's obviously very healthy, uh, uh, you know, and very systematized. I mean, my calorie intake these days is going up to 3,500, 4,000 calories a day. So, <laughs> so I'm eating a good chunk when I'm in my peak training mode, especially. Um, but yeah, eat pretty healthy. Not, not a specific diet though, just the basics, you know, getting your good supplements of your, uh, your key macronutrients of car, uh, carbs, proteins, fats. Obviously for me, it's a significantly higher level cause I need it, but yeah, just eating generally healthy. No, perfect. And what's yeah. your favorite gear? What do you, you know, what, what can you not live without? Uh, generally actually my camelback, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now when I'm traveling, I always have my camelback with me. Uh, uh, so I can go running everywhere, even if I don't have stops to get water, at least have some water with me. So yeah, out here in Phoenix, it's freaking hot. So <laughs> my camelback is a useful tool that I travel everywhere with me. No, that's huge. It's especially, like you said, in the, in the warmer climates, I went to work for a run yesterday with a friend of mine and it was, I like the, I don't, I'm not a fan of the camelback, but the belt that you can wear and, and have that because you're always, you always have water. You can always survive wherever you go. Yeah, mine's a pretty small one just to get something and something, you know, yeah. I put a little thing with me while I'm like in civilization, obviously I'm, you know, carrying on like my phone or whatever and a, a credit card somewhere. If I need to stop like today, I'll probably run and go, I'll, I'll run to my lunch. So I'll carry a credit card with me for food. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So but it's a good tool. <laughs> that's, that's me, right? That's exactly where I go for a bike ride or anything like that. I'm always carrying my credit card. Exactly. I think that's probably the most important piece of gear. <laughs> it, can, it can get you out of any situation that you need to. It can get you Uber. It can get you lunch. Exactly. It can get you, you know, it's a great negotiating thing. Absolutely. So tell us, you know, tell us where everyone can find you, right? And check and check out what you're doing with Fubana and, and all that. You know, I'd yeah. love to, you know, hear. Thank you. Plug, yeah, no, plug no, yourself. So. Uh, Fearvana.com, like F-E-A-R-V-A-N-A. 
Firvana.com. You can reach out to me. I always reply to my own emails. Always here to serve in any way I can. It might take me a minute sometimes, especially if I'm running across Liberia or something, but <laughs> I will eventually reply. And uh, yeah, so Firvana.com, you can find me and the book is on Amazon as well. Um, so all of it's out there. And all the profits in the book are going to charity. So like for right now, our main focus obviously is building that school in Liberia. So any, all the book sales we're getting in right now are going towards that school. Awesome. Awesome. No, it was great actually to have you on board here. And I think this is, you know, it's thinking differently, right? And I think you're a master at thinking differently and hopefully we can get the world to sort of embrace, you know, embrace that fear, embrace the anxiety. I think that's really where you can you learn from. So no, thank you for being part of this. Thank you so much for having me, Ken. It was a real pleasure speaking with you. And if anyone has any questions, comments, concerns on the uh, on today's podcast, feel free to reach out. You can reach out to me at kenandexecutiveathletes.com. And thanks, everyone, for listening.